Hi, I'm Keith Law. Welcome to episode 27 of the Keith Law Show. I'll be joined in a few minutes by Orioles pitcher Dylan Tate. First, as usual, a couple of administrative things to discuss. I actually had three pieces go up last week. Three. I'm holding three fingers up because apparently I am a toddler. I am this many years old. Uh, I don't have enough fingers to show how many years old. I am almost enough decades for one hand. This is depressing. Let's move on. I had three pieces up for athletic subscribers last week. Uh, Two of them were more scouting columns. The Tigers brought up two of their top three pitching prospects. So one day I wrote up Tariq Skubal. I also discussed Dylan Carlson in that post. He ended up homering over the weekend after that post ran. I had another post up where I discussed Casey Mize, former number one overall pick. He happened to make his debut against Dane Dunning of the White Sox, so I profiled both of those guys. It's kind of funny, too. We had another one of those games where both starting pitchers were rookies making their major league debuts. On Saturday night, I've been watching that today to write up for a future post. That's Sixto Sanchez of the Marlins against Will Crow of the Nationals. Tristan McKenzie came up for Cleveland, made his debut that same night. So we had three rookie pitchers, two of whom are current or past top 100 overall prospects, debuting the same night, which has kind of been great, actually. We've we've had more of that this year, I think, I feel like, than we've had. Or maybe it's just been more condensed this year. Whatever it is, I'll take it. I also had a post earlier before those two scouting notebooks went up where I spoke to four different player development executives about what things are like over at those alternate sites. So the places we can't see, a few teams are doing live streams from them, but we can't, media can't go, scouts can't go. So what is it like? What are the games look like? What are practices like? What are some of the protocols like? And I thought at least I got some pretty interesting answers from them. So that was a separate piece from these scouting notebooks. Those all went up last week. For those of you who also follow me for some of my board game content, I do want to mention at Paste Magazine last week, I did a fairly long piece previewing many of the major new board games scheduled to come out or that have just come out in the second half of 2020. So I looked back a little bit, but particularly looked forward. Typically, there would be this major convention that I've mentioned before called Gen Con at the start of August, where a ton of new games are released. The industry, like so many industries that have lost major trade shows, that marketing opportunity was just gone. So I just, and usually I would do, I would go to that show and play games for a bunch of days and meet a, quite a few of you as it turns out every year and then come back and say, hey, here's all the new games I saw and here's my favorites. Well, I didn't get to do that. So I just reached out to a bunch of publishers and said, hey, let's do a Zoom call and walk me through what you've got coming. Uh, most, of, most of the people I reached out to answered, a few didn't, but I took information from press releases just to try to flesh it out as much as possible. So if you're into tabletop gaming as I am, that's over at, Paste Magazine. So please do check that out. Also appeared on a couple of other podcasts last week. I was on the uh, U.S. Military's Mad Scientist Programs Convergence podcast, which was really fun. I also spoke to, they did a a conference in July. I got to speak to them as well. It was uh, kind of different and very fun. And they sent me a bunch of little swag, a pin and a coaster and various things. Um, it was really fun to do that, talking mostly about my book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves, out since April 21st from HarperCollins. And I also appeared on former ESPN colleague and Blue Jays broadcaster Dan Schulman's podcast, Swing and a Belt, that went up at sportsnet.ca on Friday of last week. So please check one or both of those out as well. We'll get to my conversation with Orioles pitcher Dylan Tate in just a moment. But first, a word from one of our sponsors. 
My guest today is Baltimore Orioles right-handed pitcher Dylan Tate. Dylan was once the fourth overall pick in the draft of the Texas Rangers, been traded a couple of times, found a home so far this year in Baltimore. Dylan, thanks for joining me. I, up top, I wanted to ask you with so many questions of race and racial justice in the news this year, this summer in particular, have you ever experienced any direct or even just structural racism throughout your baseball career, thinking particularly when you were playing maybe youth baseball or, or just at the amateur level? That has never really been something that I've experienced firsthand. And if it has been something that's gone on, it's something that I haven't seen. And um, I think most importantly, I don't think that it's something that I would allow to get in my way just simply because of how much I love this game and where my goals are, uh, I guess, uh, structured. It's just something that I haven't really seen. I, I, I would refuse, I would refuse to let something like that get in my way. Well, why don't we start then with where you started? Like, wh- how old were you when you first started playing? baseball we did you start like a little league you know I, you first came across my radar when you were in college and it was clear you were going to be like a high high first round pick so i i first started playing uh when i was eight and uh it was just in little league i was you know i played farm baseball i i didn't do t-ball uh i mm-hmm. got into it a little bit later than everybody else but yeah i was eight years old and then i started pitching at age nine gotcha did you play both were you a position player and pitcher i know at that age it's like if you're athletically gifted people just want you to do everything right right i i played everywhere i except <laughs> catcher i you know i i was pitching i played short i played third i played in the outfield um and when i was when i was younger i was probably uh, around 10 11 12 i mean that was the only time that i really dealt with any sort of politics with baseball and um you know you're you're around uh coaches who have sons and you know their priority (laughs) might be to make sure that their you know their kid is going to play so there were times where i didn't play because of that and then you know once i got to high school it wasn't something that was foreign to me uh so for me to be in that at that age it was just something that i was used to so if i wasn't playing it was you know usually there's a reason behind it. Sometimes, you know, you're not ready to get out there, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes there's, you know, the politics involved and uh, coaches are trying to get their, you know, certain players to certain schools, which, you know, I I understand it. At any point before college, was there pressure on you to specialize just on pitching or just on being a position player? Obviously you're, you know, you were more talented as a pitcher, but sometimes they, I know coaches uh, are trying to pigeonhole guys into one thing in particular. Maybe, it, maybe it's not based on the player, but based on what the t- they think is better for the team. You know what? That's actually really funny that you ask that. So when I was in high school, it was, I was probably a sophomore. Mm-hmm. I was a sophomore at the time. And the, the head coach said that I was, he said, that I was 100% an infielder and (laughs) I, I was just kind of taken back by that a little bit because I'm over here playing at the urban youth Academy where one of my coaches was a catcher for the Astros and caught Nolan Ryan. And he's telling me 
you do not need to be playing in the infield. You can't hit. And, you know, these are <laughs> that are going to shoot it straight. You know, they don't, they don't have any ulterior motives. So mm-hmm. it was all, all it was was just straight shooting. And he said, you know, you're, you're a pitcher. And I, w- I, I wanted to play the infield just simply because it was just something else that was fun to me. It wasn't something that I truly excelled at. Did you find that, so you mentioned that you couldn't hit, was like, did it, did you find that trying to do both affected you at all pitching? Like I'm thinking of when I saw Hunter Green in high school and obviously Hunter was blessed with a ridiculously good arm as you were, but there was always this thought too, he'd be a better pitcher if he wasn't also playing shortstop all the other days when he wasn't pitching, either because it was just maybe more work for his arm or just generally like more physically taxing overall and like you he wasn't much of a hitter but he was a really good defensive infielder in in no small part because he had this great arm I don't think that was the case for me I don't mm-hmm. think people were really talking about my pitching ability being hindered by the fact of me also playing another position that wasn't the case I don't think I don't think that my ability to play in the infield was even at a high enough level to be, you know, something that was going to interfere with me being on the mound. It was, I was clearly a pitcher. You mentioned playing at the Urban Youth Academy. I've been to that facility, the one in Compton, uh, a couple of times for various events. Tell me a little bit about what that experience was like. You were probably there in some of their earlier years too. They've been around for, I think, at least a decade now. But, you know, what kind of things did you learn playing there with other kids from the area, especially with some of the MLB staff who were there trying to help kids from that area develop? It was as simple as just getting repetitions. And most of the things that I experienced when I got to pro ball uh, through my learning experience just came through game reps. You have a game every day in the minor leagues for 140 and Playing at the Urban Youth Academy, I think they do their best to kind of mimic what it's going to be like for people that want to take that next step into professional baseball. And they do keep things very professional down there. And it's getting guys out on the field and getting them as many reps as they can. And I remember when I would go play um, on the East, in the East Coast um, for summer ball, I remember I would always go up there and I was always trying to throw backwards so much early on. And I remember my coaches were always telling me, you know, establish that fastball and throw that fastball until people show you that they can hit it. And then once that happens, then you start switching your game plan. So that was one of the biggest lessons I learned so early because I feel like pitchers have a tendency to overthink at times up on the mound and it's it's vice versa for hitters at the plate but just keeping things simple was one of the biggest things i learned on the mound playing at the urban youth academy where how old were you when you realized that maybe it was college coaches first before pro scouts but before folks noticed you and it became clear you you had a chance to either turn pro or at least pursue baseball at the division one level in college so I was probably about 17 when I realized that I had a good shot to play at the Division One level. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you start to see 
college coaches drawing interest and, um, you know, giving out small scholarship offers and you, you go on a couple of visits to a couple of schools. And that was a, that was a great experience. And as far as pro ball went, I felt like I wasn't ready out of high school. So that's why I decided to take that college route because I, I felt like I needed more time. And, um, once, once I was in college, it was, it was probably, a, probably my freshman year going into my sophomore year. So that summer, that freshman summer that I had going into my sophomore year was when I really started to make a couple of big improvements. And um, that's when I felt like I could play at the next level. Now, I remember there was a little controversy. Maybe it was a scouting controversy. Maybe it was less so for you about whether you were going to be a starter or a reliever even going into your, because you were mostly a reliever your first two years at Santa Barbara. I hope I have that right. I only saw you start as a junior, uh, but I remember it was, well, is he going to be a closer? Is he going to be a starter? Did you have a preference? Did you want to stay in relief or did you want to try out as a starter? Maybe, maybe just recognizing it was better for your pro prospects. If you would work as a starter for a little bit, scouts could see you more. I always felt like I could do anything. Uh, out there on the mound. It, and I feel like as a competitor, I think that's the attitude that any competitor should have when taking the field. I don't, I, I don't take kindly to somebody else putting me in a box because they're not the ones throwing the ball. I'm the one throwing the ball and the ball has the brain that it's connected to. So I'm the one making the decisions out there. So if I want, if my heart was truly set on starting, I would start. And the, the scouts, the scouts said, you know, they think that I'm going to be a reliever and which is all fine and good. But at the end of the day, I'm the one that made that choice. Dylan Tate said, Dylan is going to be a reliever, not the other way around. Did you find transitioning from relieving for two years to working as a starter too? You always had the great arm. I remember seeing you up to 98 or so and your slider was really good, but you were very kind of fastball heavy. Uh, did you find, was it when you moved to a starter as a junior that you had to work on the secondary stuff more, whether it was just like adding pitches or just refining them because you didn't use them as much? Or did that come more for you when you went to pro ball where I know that the, the types of things they're trying to teach guys can be very different than what you're learning in college where there's, I think a bit more of a focus on just winning right now. So to, to back up a little bit, my mm -hmm. freshman year, I didn't even really play. I, I only mm -hmm. threw three innings. So, I mean, you can, you can call that a reliever, I guess, but that's not really <laughs> playing in my eyes. So mm -hmm. it went from three innings to closing to team USA. So I only really relieved for one year. Okay. If somebody's going to really look at the stats. So I relieved for one year and then the next year I started. So I jumped, I went from 40 something innings to throwing a hundred something innings in the span of, you know, a year. And then jumping into pro ball, you know, they're saying I'm still going to start. I've only had one year of starting under my belt at, you know, the college level. While other people that had been in my same position that were also drafted, you know, in the first round, second round, it really didn't matter. Other people that were also drafted high had three years of starting under their belt. 
or two years of starting under their belt going into pro ball. And I think once I got to pro ball, as far as, uh, you know, the secondary pitches go, I initially I was told to not throw my slider as much. Hmm. And once I started doing that, it was more of a focus on the fastball. So I focused on that. And once I got to, once it was time for me to throw that slider again, I, I didn't really have any feel for it. And so I, I just kind of had to navigate my way through that. And it was, and then on top of that, just my entire delivery was just out of whack the following year. And I, I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting the help that I felt I needed to get out of that, uh, that, that funk that I was in. So mm -hmm. I was kind of, I was kind of on my own. And, um, but I think that that's something that's really shaped me for my entire career. I think, I think that, um, being in the position that I am now, it's given me some past experience to, I guess, navigate my way through, you know, whatever situations I'm going through at the current moment. So I'm actually really thankful for it. I remember when you, in your draft year in particular, you were, you were easily the best college arm, the hardest thrower. People thought you could really sort of dream on a lot of upside. But the conversation has changed about how we evaluate pitchers now, where it's less just velocity. Now it's a lot more in spin rate and spin axis. I assume, especially now you're with Baltimore, the Yan you've gone through the Yankees with Baltimore. Those are two clubs that are very focused on those stack test style things. How has that been for you as a pitcher? Have you had coaches try to work with you to change some of what you're doing, maybe to improve or alter your spin rate or, or other things beyond just throwing harder? As far as the, the spin goes and the metrics of the movement of pitches, the only thing I feel like our coaches have done have really put the emphasis on is making what I have better. So there's things that guys are going to do well. And I think you can take that stuff and you can always get better. There's always room for improvement. You hear about starters talking in the game uh, about fastball command, and it's something that they're always working on. The, the best players in the game are still continuing to work on one of the most simple components of pitching. So that in itself right there, that, that concept can be applied to something else. And I think our organization does a good job of that with getting guys better at the stuff that they, they do well. So um, for me, I, I'm not a high spin guy. So mm. I rely on a sinker and throwing that at the bottom of the zone is really going to help get me the ground balls that I need, especially in Camden, which, you know, the ball gets out of there fairly easy. So uh, as, as far as my weaknesses go, the organization also is um, trying to attack my weaknesses as well. And um, I've been working on getting inside a little bit more against those lefties. Um, that's something that I've struggled with. The, the lefties have that tendency uh, with their bat path to, to hit that sinker a lot easier than the righties do. It kind of falls right into that barrel path. Mm -hmm. So throwing that four seam for me has been one of my weaknesses. So getting that thing inside and kind of having it move like a dart on that inner half helps keep the lefties a little bit more honest in my opinion. So 
the four seam has been something that's been in the works for me and I've been really working hard on that pitch and um, had some glimpses of success with it but um, ultimately I'm gonna have to keep working on that and especially if I really wanted to be a player but with everything being about spin in today's game and not so much velocity it's I feel like as a competitor I have to adapt and if I don't adapt I get left behind and I'm I have no intentions on getting left behind I I love this game and I love playing at the highest level so I'm about doing whatever I have to do I get asked a lot by often by parents of high school players more high school pitchers I think especially about the college versus uh, pro ball decision and I always tell them it depends on your kid and how advanced he is, how mature he is. There's a lot of things that go into it. But, you know, if you were asked just sort of in general, especially speaking as a pitcher and someone who did go to college and get better, I think you made more money by going to college and, and you improved by going to college too. What kinds of things would you say to parents, especially of high school pitchers, uh, to think of what things should they think about if they're weighing college against pro ball? I would, I would definitely say that it is a very tall task for an 18 year old to jump from high school to where it's, you know, you're, you're pretty much completely sheltered still at that age. You know, most, I, I can speak for most of my experience. I would say you go home after you're done at, you know, in high school and, you know, you have, uh, you know, food to eat, you have a place, a nice place to sleep, you go back to school. And then once you get to pro ball, it's a nine to five attitude almost every day with baseball. I don't mean to say that baseball is a nine to five. And that's, that's not really what I'm getting at. It's the work that goes into playing at the professional level. That is such a grind. And not to mention you don't have that shelter anymore. It's you're, you're pretty much in the real world at that point. Some of the coaches do a good job, I think, at the, you know, the rookie ball levels with really staying close to some of the players, especially when they're 18, 19, 20. Uh, you know, you're, you're still a kid at that age. So it's just a lot to handle, I think, for somebody that young going in. And I think college is a better move for me. I'm not going to say it's the right move, but it was a better move for me because it just gave me that additional time that I needed. And it's a little less sheltered than high school. I think college is still sheltered in a way with you being in, a, 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 you're still in a community of some sort. Um, so I think that it's a little less sheltered. You have more freedom, but it's just a lot, I think to uh to go into at that early of an age so for me personally i think college was a good move and i think for most it, it it's a good move my guest today has been dylan tate a right-handed pitcher for the baltimore orioles dylan thank you so much for joining me today i appreciate you thank you you have a great day thanks you too so before i wrap this week i want to just address something this is particularly for listeners who are in the LGBTQ community or, or who have close family members who are, who just those issues are important to you, perhaps. You know, we had a really, really unfortunate incident last week where Tom Brenneman, the Reds broadcaster, the son of a longtime Reds broadcaster, and 
Nepotism probably is a factor in this. I'm just going to set that aside for the moment here. He uttered a truly hateful, vile, homophobic slur on air. Yes, it was a hot mic. So what? It's not a word you should be using ever and certainly not in any workplace. And that he was comfortable even saying that in a workplace was really problematic. Um, but I just want to offer an apology and and empathy for particularly for LGBTQ fans, baseball fans who heard that and were reminded that this industry has really not done a whole lot to embrace you, to accept you as you, as fans, to accept you for who you are. Uh, and it's regrettable. And I think we're all aware there's a lot of homophobia in sports. That's not news. At least in recent years, it's become less overt. Oh, it's still there. And certainly I still go to games and I hear words like that or maybe subtler words that kind of express the same sentiment, but at least it's less out front. And when I heard that, my first thought was how many people, how many fans who are LGBT would hear that and just be reminded that you love this sport and it doesn't always love you back. And I'm really sorry that that had to happen. I'm glad that the reaction was as swift as it was and that the, that Brenneman was taken off the broadcast mid game. Uh, I don't think they could have handled it too much better. There's a whole process I'm sure they have to go through from an HR legal perspective afterwards, but at least they got him off the air. He has it returned to the air as of this, as of when I'm recording this podcast. That's good. It shows that at least they're taking it seriously in the moment, but nothing can unsay that word. And I'm just really sorry that any of you really had to hear that. That's all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. As I always say, if you like the show, please pass it on to a friend. Uh, and if you are enjoying it also and you happen to listen on iTunes particularly, please feel free to leave me a review and a five-star rating. Again, it just helps spread the word about the podcast to other listeners. Stay safe, everyone. Wear your masks. <laughs>